0: All right, Luke chapter number 2 this evening, and I want to preach to you for just a few moments on seeing the real meaning of Christmas. Uh, And I'm going to touch on some things that we touched on on Sunday morning. Sunday morning we preached on the effects of the first coming on the life of Simeon and how the, the second coming ought to have those effects on our life. And tonight I want us to look at Simeon once more, but I want us to look at a little bit different of some thoughts this evening. I want us to focus on what Simeon says. On Sunday morning, we focused on who he was and some characteristics about his life. But tonight, I want us to focus on the things that he said. And, uh, you know, what you, what you say reveals who and what you are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And some folks that ain't never got anything good to say, it ought to worry us about them. Amen? Uh, it for, it's from our heart that those things come forth. From our heart issues the, comes forth the issues of life. And so Simeon evidenced some things by the things that he said, that he understood some things that I think we need to understand in this Christmas season. Luke chapter number 2. Let's begin reading in verse number 21. The Word of God says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel." And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the real meaning of this time of the year. We pray that you would just solidify in our hearts the goodness and grace that you bestowed upon us Lord, we know that our salvation is settled forever. We understand that, Lord, but we just pray you'd bring us into a greater comprehension of what Calvary's done for us. Help us to see what Bethlehem meant, the effects that it has in our lives. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Speak to each heart according to thy will. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want us to give a little bit of context to what is taking place here when Simeon is in the temple and the child Jesus is brought in for him to be circumcised, he's eight days old, uh, I find it interesting. Well, I'm not going to preach a different message. I just find it interesting that the Bible says that his parents did for him according to the custom of the law. You know that, uh, you say, why did our Lord have to have earthly parents? Because at this time, when he was biologically growing, he even then fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. God gave people in his life, his uh, mother and then uh, Joseph, his stepfather, if we could call him that, uh, of course his earthly father, not his heavenly father, uh, gave them in his life to help him to do those things that God had called him to do. And aren't you thankful, uh, just like Miss Brenda was saying, God gives us people in our life to help us and to lead us and guide us along the way. Here Simeon. Simeon is. I'll probably make that mistake a few times. Here Simeon is. He's in the temple, and he sees the child Jesus coming. He knows, and you say, well, how did he know, preacher? Because the Holy Ghost was upon him. That's how he knew. You see, the Holy Ghost bears witness of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Ghost is in it, it's not going to be about the Holy Ghost. It's going to be about Jesus Christ what a lot of the problem is with a lot of uh, the quote-unquote movement of the Holy Spirit in a lot of places. Uh, And I'm sure there's things I don't understand about the way the Holy Ghost works. I I can see that. I'm aware of that. But let me tell you something. Anywhere where the Holy Ghost is moving, it's going to be about Jesus Christ. So here Simeon is, and here come up two young people carrying a little baby, and the Holy Ghost speaks to his heart and says, Simeon, that's him. he says, Who, Lord? And he says, That's the Christ child. That's the Son of God. That's the promised Messiah. And so Simeon, rejoicing, runs up to them and then begins to make some statements that are of deep theological significance. I want you to notice them again with me. And I know we read them, but look at verse number 29. "'Lord, now us, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation.'" which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You know, the name Simeon literally means he who hears. Simeon was a man who understood some things that no one else understood. Simeon was a man that because he understood some things no one else understood, he got to see some things that no one else saw. There's no telling how many people were crowded into the temple upon that day. The temple in Jerusalem was a very, very busy place day in and day out. There's no telling how many people were there. But only Simeon sees the real beauty and the real truth of what's taking place. You know, it's kind of a picture of this Christmas season, isn't it? It's kind of a picture of what is around us at all times. In fact, I want to just touch just three things, I think, about the temple uh, and that atmosphere that are indicative and representative of what we're going through in this Christmas season. I want you to notice, first off, that the temple was a place of religion without a Redeemer. They would go in day after day after day, and sacrifices would be offered. And they were supposed to be looking forward to a Redeemer. But here the Redeemer has come, and no one sees it except this old man, Simeon. In the very same way, we live in a world today, and Christmas is a religious holiday. There's no question about that. I know we like to get focused sometime on some, uh, you know, on on the, uh, I about said ASPCA, I don't think that's it. Uh, we, we Sometimes we like to get focused on the NAACP. They come into some small town and they make them uh, tear down their nativity scene. But it's undeniable that you look around. I mean, Christmas cards, wrapping paper, commercials. There is an atmosphere of religion all surrounding the Christmas season. And yet we find that, just as the Bible said, we live in a day where evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. You say, why is that, preacher? Because they've got religion without a Redeemer and without a relationship. Uh, they have got they know the pomp and the circumstance and the outward trappings of what religion is, but they do not know what is at the very heart of it, which is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The temple was a place of religion Without a redeemer, But I would say, secondly, it's a place of worship without willingness. All over this city this past week, there was folks that made their appearance. And I'm not going to get in a sour mood and fuss and gripe, but you know it's true. Folks that darkened the doorstep first time in 2014 that they walked into a church house, and the last time. And they won't be in a church house again until December of 2015. There's a worship, but why are they really going? Why are they going to the house of of the Lord. Well, in the same way, in the Old Testament, they had worship in the temple, but it was not necessarily a voluntary worship. Oh, yes, he had to bring it of his own voluntary will when he made a sacrifice. But this was a covenant of bondage. This was a covenant of fear. This was a covenant of pressure. Unlike the New Testament covenant of grace, in which God has written His law upon the fleshy tables of our hearts, we live in a day like this, where most of the folks that go to church on Christmas, they're just going because that's what's expected. They've got a mama or a daddy or a grandma or a grandpa, and they expect to see them there. Same thing's true about Easter. Uh, same thing's true about Mother's Day. It's not that way about Father's Day. I guess they don't care about us dads, amen, but it's true about Mother's Day. It was a place of worship without willingness. But then I want you to notice number three, it was a place of giving without grace. This was a sacrificial place. It, 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 is, it is absolutely mind-boggling to imagine the gallon's the gallons of blood that flowed from this hill throughout the ages. Men giving and giving and giving and giving, and yet in all that giving they never found the true meaning of grace. The Word of God is very explicit about it in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about how that if if it was possible, uh, that it's, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. If it was possible, then the comers thereunto would have been made perfect by it. In other words, evidently, that old covenant, though there was giving and giving and giving, there was no grace involved. Because if there had been grace involved, then the sacrifice would have been perfect, and it could have ceased. By the same token, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ... <laughs> I like this. The Bible says... but. This man, after he had once offered himself, sat down on the right hand of the Father. One offering, one offering. And the same is true today. Most of us spent way more than we should have buying gifts for folks. And, you know, there's always those people. Now, I'm just being honest with you. If you don't want to be honest, that's okay. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. There's some people that you're excited to buy for, right? You're excited. And then there's those other folks. Amen. <laughs> I might be one of them other folks to you. I don't know. But those people that you just feel an obligation to do it. You're not really giving because you want to give. You're just merely giving because maybe they give to you or maybe uh, there's some kind of social pretense that you are expected to give to them. And it's in this environment, an environment of religion without a redeemer, worship without willingness, and giving without grace, in the midst of all this that is so indicative and so representative of our Christmas season, there was at least one man and one woman by the name of Annas that could see the truth of what this time was all about. Now, we could fuss and argue about what day Jesus was born on, but let me tell you something. I think when you do that, you're missing what the real truth and meaning about Christmas is. You see, the real truth about it is not that we peg it down to some day. It's not that we try to trace it back to some kind of pagan winter solstice. It's not the whole purpose of it, because this is the day that the Lord hath made whether it's the 23rd, the 24th, the 25th, whether it's in September, whether it's in May, this is the day that the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Sometimes it's so easy. Some folks get caught up on the positive side of things. And I know people that all it's about is candy canes, and all it's about is trees, and all it's about is presents, and they can't see the truth of what Christmas is about. But then I know folks on the other side of things that all they get caught up in is criticism about those things. Let me tell you something. You've got to be careful about that ditch on either side of things. If you'll keep it focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be right. Amen? Because that's what it's about. Simeon could have no doubt looked with scathing condemnation at the hypocrisy of many in the temple, but that's not what he was looking at. He could have looked with a wonderment and awestruckness at the pomp and circumstance of what was taking place within the walls of that temple, but that's not what he was looking at. As soon as the Holy Ghost said, Simeon, that's the Christ Lord, Simeon didn't see anything else. He said, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And he makes a few statements, and I just want to touch on them. I'm not going to keep you long. Notice verse 28. I want you notice one of the things that Simeon talks about, one of the things that he says. It says in verse number 28, Then took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. I want you to notice first off that Simeon saw the plan and the propitiation of God. You know, that's the greatest and grandest truth about this Christmas season. It's not that he was born. It's that he was born to die. Uh, Bethlehem without a Calvary would be meaningless. In fact, Bethlehem without a Calvary would have done nothing but further bar the way to fellowship and a relationship with God. Christ made this statement to the Pharisees. He said, if I had not come, you would not have had sin." He said, but now I am come, and ye have sinned. What was he saying? Was he saying that they had not sinned because they hadn't seen Christ? No, that's not what he was saying, because the book of Romans makes it clear that every man has a law written on his conscience, and we're all accountable. Even if we knew nothing about God, we're accountable to that law that's written on our conscience. What Christ was saying was this, before you hadn't seen the perfect example, but now that you've seen me, you've seen the perfect example. He's saying, my perfect and sinless life. If you reject me, all that does is magnify your unrighteousness and sin because you're not ignorant to what God expects. But by the same token, if you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner and come to me and let me be your sin bearer, let me be the one that is your propitiation, you can be redeemed from your sin. And all in a flash of a moment, Simeon holds the Christ child in his arm and he uses this terminology. He says, according to thy word. This is the plan. This is the Messiah. This is the one that has been promised. Listen, if you don't see anything else about Christmas, see that it just began at a manger, but it ended with a cross. In fact, let uh, let me rephrase that. It began with a manger and his earthly ministry ended with a cross. But let me just go a stretch further and say, when it's all said and done, there's going to be a crown. Amen. There's going to be a crown. He saw the plan of God. I want you to notice a second thing. Look again at verse number 29. He says, now let us thy servant depart in peace. He saw the peace of God. This is an intrinsic message to the Christmas story and to the Christmas season. You remember what it was that the angels said to the shepherds? uh, They said, uh, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You see, the coming of Christ was a message of peace. I'm aware He said that I'm not come to give you peace but a sword. I'm aware of that. And there is a context in which that is most certainly true. But there's no question that without Bethlehem, none of us could have peace with God. None of us could. You see, He understood that now that He had held the Christ child, He could die in peace. And let me tell you something, your loved ones, my loved ones, our friends, our family, or maybe you sitting here tonight, you'll never know peace until you learn to get close to Him. You'll never learn peace until first off you see Him as your sacrifice and accept Him as your Savior. And then even if you are saved, hey, listen, I'm, I'm just being honest now. We think just because we get saved that all of a sudden that means we're going to have peace in our life. I know lots of Christians that know nothing about peace because they're living in backsliddenness and rebellion. It wasn't just that he saw him. You remember what the Word of God says, uh, that we're to look up and see our salvation, that we're to look unto the Lord and be saved. He saw him, but that wasn't where his peace came from. It wasn't just that he saw him, it was that he embraced him. And in our lives, it's not just that we get saved. There's lots of folks that are saved, but salvation is not the end. It's the beginning of things. Once you get saved, the only way you'll truly know peace is to grasp hold of the hand of the Son of God, have a close and intimate relationship with Him that is birthed out of a daily walk and a daily devotion to Him and His grace. We see that He saw the peace of God. I want you to notice a third thing. Look down at the next verse, verse 30. The Bible says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He sees the provision of God. Now, I know we sort of already touched on this. I'm aware of that. But can I go a little bit different direction than maybe you're expecting me to go in? Now, he already had recognized that Christ was the plan of God and and the propitiation of God. He says, this is the one that you've promised. This is the one that all these lambs had looked forward to. But now he says, Lord, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's speaking of provision as it relates to salvation. But can I say that at this Christmas season, it ought to be a reminder of God's provision towards us. Hey, we're at the end of a year. We're at the end of a year. I look around this room. I don't mean it in an ugly way, but I don't see any of us starving. Amen. God's provided. God's provided for us. I'm sure there's people that could tell stories in this room about difficult times. Times when you had more month than you had money. Times when you didn't know where it was going to come from. But now, as we approach this Christmas season, many of us are going to get not just things that we need, but things that we want. We're going to gather with family. We're going to eat more than we ought to eat. We're going to open things that we don't even deserve. And we're going to go into the next year without even stopping and pausing to thank God that He's provided all these things. You can look backwards over 12 months and say, God's been faithful. God's been faithful. He's provided for me. Simeon looks at this greatest of all provisions, the salvation of God. And he says, God has provided this. God has made a way for this. And he can look back and say, God also has took care of me. Let me give you a fourth thing. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. He speaks of the providence of God. You see, the provision of God is that God gives you what you need. The providence of God is that He gives it to you on time. The provision of God is that He meets all of the needs that you have, uh, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally. The providence of God is that He does it with absolute perfection. And He uses this terminology. He says, Lord, you have prepared. You have prepared before the face of all the people. I look back over my life over the last 12 months, and I don't suppose we've had any just, uh, you know, earth-shattering tragedies or anything of that sort. But I can look back and I, I can see time after time that God was just right on time. I can see times that God spared me for my own self. Times that if I'd had my way, I would have messed everything up. But God was preparing things for me. Me and my wife were talking, you know, we're, we're knee deep in this house thing. We're, we're too far in to get cold feet now. Amen. So I guess we're going to do it. And we're trying to, we're trying to sell our house. And we've, one of the things that we have committed to keep in our minds throughout this entire process is that our God is a God of timing. His timing is absolutely perfect. We get impatient. I know you don't believe it. I know you don't believe that your preacher ever makes a mistake. I know that. We we get impatient like anybody gets impatient. We want God to hurry up to do it in such a way. But every once in a while when we're talking about how impatient we are, one of us will look at the other. It's usually her looking at me and saying this. And she'll say, you know, honey, maybe God's waiting until the people that are going to buy our house are ready. Or maybe God's waiting until the people whose house we're going to buy is ready. We have a bad habit of thinking it's all about us. And I know God's uh, purposes are manifold. I mean, I understand that God God has no difficulty with administration or coordination. He can do things just at the perfect time. Uh, But did you ever stop to think that maybe what you're so up in arms having to wait for, God's trying to keep you from rushing in and making a mess of things? I can look back over 12 months and I can say, God has providentially guided me. I've not always listened to Him. I've not always obeyed Him. But let me say this, even when I've not been listening, even when I've not been obedient, He's still in some sovereign, miraculous way been guiding me in spite of my rebellion, in spite of my obstinance, in spite of my flesh and my wickedness. God has been providential when I've not been obedient. He says, I can see the providence of God. God has prepared all these things. God has made a way in all of these things. Let me share with you one final thing. Look at verse number 32. I like this. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Now, what was it that Simeon was saying here? Simeon says that Christ is a light to lighten the Gentiles. Now, let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves this. We can be scripturally honest. Is Christ at this moment being a light to lighten the Gentiles? At the moment that Simeon says this, is he being a light to lighten the Gentiles? No. He's still the Christ child. He's still uh, shrouded in obscurity. There's only a handful that know who and what he is. And certainly the great redemptive work of Calvary has not taken place yet. You see, Simeon's looking into the future. What about the next statement? And the glory of thy people Israel. Was He yet the glory of God's people Israel? Well, Now, we, we understand He is their glory. We understand that one day will be. But at this time, uh, He was in obscurity. He would go on uh, to have a, a year of acceptation or exaltation. He would go on to have a year of rejection. Uh, the closer He got to the cross, the thinner the crowds got. They took Him time and time again and tried to kill Him before He ever made it to the cross. And then with wicked hands and wicked hearts, they slew the Prince of Life. As Simeon is looking at him, he's not the glory of God's people Israel. So what is it that Simeon is saying here? Can I give you one simple word? Promise. Promise. He understands the promise of God. And Simeon says it as though it is at that very moment a reality. We know it's not a reality at that very moment. But Simeon does not say who will one day be a light to lighten the Gentiles and will one day be the glory of thy people Israel. No, he says it as though it is present fact because he understands something about God's promises, that God's promises never, ever, ever fail. Ever. Well, we have some wonderful promises from God. God. All oh, which time would afford just to go through and name about a thousand of them. We wouldn't even we wouldn't even scratch the surface if we named a thousand. But what about this one? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Has that promise been kept true to you this year? What about this one? What about this one? I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I never... I could stop there, amen, see how many of you that's been true for, but I won't do that. David said, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Has that been true for you this year? that been true for you this year? What about this one? Christ said, no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. Hadn't that been true for you this year? Can I say this, that if the Lord tarries his coming... The same promises that have been true in 2014 will be true in 2015. You see, he understood that that the end of this year, that, that this time of reflection and remembrance was an opportunity to dwell upon the promise of God. This promise that though at that moment seemed so impossible and so unlikely, yet because he knew that it came from God, he knew that it could not fail. You may be going through some things right now that you can't figure out. Join the club. That's part of the Christian experience, is going through things that you can't figure out. But you know, though you can't figure it out, God's still true. He's still true. Though you may not be able to make sense out of it, God's promise is still true. God will still be with you and go with you and watch over you and provide for you and guide you. Just as that promise has been true in 2014, you can put her in the bank. It's going to be true in 2015 as well. You see, the real meaning of Christmas, if I could sum it up in one simple statement, is this. When Simeon saw the Christ child, he saw the bridge between fallen man and holy God. When he held him in his arms, he was literally holding the means of a relationship with the Almighty Creator. And he saw vested in this little child all of the promises... All of the goodness and all of the grace of God. As the Bible calls it, the express image of His glory. Could I give you another terminology that that Paul uses? In Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Bodily. What it must have been to be Simeon and to hold that little body. And to think here is everything that God could ever give me. All vested in this little child. You see, the true beauty of Christmas is this. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That God would be manifest in the flesh and that we might be redeemed by His grace.